Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And in this conversation, we have the privilege once again to speak with Rexford Semrod, one of the administrators, the director of administrators for uh, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, we're going to do what we said uh, that we would be doing in a previous conversation with Rex. We said that we were going to have a mini series, however long we might want to do these for, uh, on John Calvin and his life. And uh, in the first episode uh, with Rex, we talked about some misconceptions of John Calvin. We also talked about uh, Calvin as uh, an apologist and as a peacemaker. So we encourage you to uh, go back and listen to that first episode. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. But uh, before I introduce our topic for today, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Good to be here, Austin. Good to be here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to get to have you on, uh, especially because I know that this is uh, a subject that you're interested in, at least Calvin. And then in particular today, we're going to be talking about Calvin and Servetus. So... Um, just to kick us off in relation to this general heading of Calvin and Servetus, what two incidents, Rex, in Calvin's ministry do you want to talk about today? Well, yeah, first first off, we'll talk about the burning of Servetus, but I also thought it would be good to talk about Calvin's battle with the Libertines. Those are probably the two most famous incidents um, in Calvin's ministry in Geneva. And um, one of the things that ties them both together is they were both incidents that occurred. Remember, Geneva had a Republican form of government and different parties would end, and, and they had annual elections. And the different, so year to year, the parties with the most influence and authority would change. And both of these incidents occurred while Calvin's opponents had control of the civil authority. Um, and that's that's really important to recognize in both these events. So yeah, both uh, the burning of Servetus, which is, I mean, how many times it's, how many times you talk, somebody finds out you're Calvinist, they say, Calvin burned Servetus. And like, that's the end of the discussion. You shouldn't be a Calvinist because Calvin burned Servetus. Um, so I think it's a good thing to know the actual history of. Yeah, and uh, we think that you're right. This important for us to know. So we want to have you on to talk about that. So uh, to begin uh, with the first subject that you said you want to talk about uh, in light of these lessons of John Calvin, uh, we'll talk about the burning of Servetus. I think I said it right that time. So uh, who was Michael Servetus? Well, M Michael Servetus was he was born 1509 um in villanova um but uh he had a liberal education and studied medicine and he he's actually quite brilliant he's most likely the first person to discover that the blood system was a circulatory system um i, I think harvey is often uh touted as a person who discovered that, but Servetus did first. So he was a brilliant guy as, as far as his intellectual capacity. 
Um, but you, know, you have people like Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, who we know as reformers. And, and, but he, he wrote a book on the heirs of the Trinity and then followed it up with a book called um, The Restoration of Christianity. He didn't think that the church needed to be reformed. He thought Christianity needed to be restored because it had been gone. It was gone. He, he was not a reformer. He, he basically thought the church had gone into error early on and it needed to be restored to its uh, true form. Um, he was actually, uh, he was working in the courts of the Bishop of Vienne under a false name. Um, and yeah, and, and so he was there and the Bishop of Vienne had written um, some things decrying the reformers and someone who knew that Servetus was in his court had written back to him and said, you, you're calling us heretics, so you've got a heretic in your own court. <laughs> and so he was he was found out, immediately arrested. Um, he was tried by the Roman Catholic Inquisitors in Vienne. And he was sentenced to be burned alive as slow fire till his body be reduced to a cinder was the was the conviction, but somehow he managed to escape. And so the Roman Catholic Church burned him in effigy with five bales of his books uh, in June of 1552. Um, so that, that's, that's who he was. Yeah, that's helpful uh, to begin our conversation on Servetus. And now uh, I want to ask, what were Servetus's theological claims that uh, led to at least the eventual ending of his life. Uh, I, I think he had a lot of errors that I, I forget what all they were, but his most famously, he denied the Trinity. But he didn't just deny the Trinity. He he he, he did it in uh, a roughly argumentative form. He he was trying to make enemies. He, he didn't just say the Trinity is a false doctrine. He called it a three-headed Cerberus. You know, the Cerberus is the three-headed dog from Greek mythology. And, and that, that's something I find amusing. He, he used, that, used that analogy to talk about how terrible the doctrine of the Trinity is. And then you've got modern apologists who think that Cerberus is a good illustration to help people understand the Trinity. Um but he called it the three-headed Cerberus. He said it was a dream of Augustine. Um, he he said it was an invention of the devil. It, it wasn't simply that he denied the Trinity. He denied it in a, a, a harshly argumentative form. He, he was basically always trying to pick fights. Um, he also held to some form of pantheism that I don't know the exact details, but uh, that comes out a little bit when we talk about the trial as well. Um, so yeah, his, his, he, had, he had a number of different errors, but his main one was a denial of the Trinity in a, in a very obstinate form. So how does John Calvin fit into the story with Servetus? I mean, before we get to 
uh, the controversial part, I guess, I guess we can uh, start by asking, uh, did, did John Calvin know status? Yeah, they had actually had a lengthy correspondence. They, they had, uh, it's, it's well known that they corresponded quite a bit between four, 1546 and 1548, but actually clear back over 10 years before that, Servetus had been writing to Calvin in different places. Calvin had even agreed um, a couple of times, uh, which would have endangered both their lives. Um, but Calvin uh, showed both times Calvin showed up and Servetus didn't. And, and that's not necessarily in some, some, I mean, it, they both were putting their lives in danger. If either one of them had been caught where they were meeting, they would have been, um, put to death by their own Catholic church, but, and Servitus, he, he tried hard to uh, convince Calvin of the errors of the Trinity. Um, we have an interesting uh, uh, letter from Calvin to Pharrell um, in the 1540s, shortly before the uh, trial of Servitus, where, uh, Calvin is um, writing to Pharrell about Servetus's um, correspondence with him, and he writes, Servetus wrote to me a short time ago and sent a huge volume of his dreamings and pompous triflings with his letter. I was to find among them wonderful things and such as I had never before seen, and if I wished, he would himself come. But I am by no means inclined to be responsible for him, for if he come... I will never allow him, supposing my influence worth anything, to depart alive. So when, when we talk about Calvin burning Servetus, the answer isn't that Calvin did not think Servetus should be burned. He did. Uh, that, that, that was, at this time in Europe, the only opinion among any governing body, that the, the opinion of civil authority, the, the idea of separation of church and state was unheard of at this time. Nobody was pushing for it. The Roman Catholic Church had the, believed that um, heretics should be put to death, and the reformers didn't disagree with them. They agreed. And the, and the thought was, if we put men to death, for murdering men's bodies. How much more do they deserve to be put to death if they're murdering men's souls? How much worse is it to send to give teach someone in such a way that they end up in hell right, than it is to just simply murder their bodies? Uh, that was the prevailing thought. That's what the Roman Catholic Church believed and what they practiced, and all of the reformers believed the same thing. Um, and and Calvin was uh, right in line with them. He had, he did not have any problem with putting heretics to death. Um, so yeah, they did have a correspondence. And Calvin, you know, in that letter, he said, "If he shows up here, uh, unless my influence is gone, he won't depart alive." Hmm. Yeah, that's <clears throat> helpful for us to contextualize this and uh, understand a little the situation a little bit uh, differently than perhaps our present context would 
have treated this situation or maybe not. Maybe you can speak to that. Right. Uh, well, you know, it's a couple hundred years later before the separation of church and state is really understood largely and, and believed. I mean, it was, it was the Baptists hmm. in uh, what the 1600s, 1700s that really brought about the opening of men's minds to understand the separation of church and state that the, state doesn't have authority over men's souls. Yeah, that's helpful as well. Um, you mentioned in that letter that you uh, read that uh, Calvin and Servetus not only had correspondence, but Calvin Calvin had a thought about what he might have to do if Servetus uh, did end up coming to where he had uh, some sphere of influence. So what led to Servetus ending up to or ending up in Geneva, how did he get there? Well, it, it's it's interesting. Um, because, okay, he had, he had just escaped in Vienna, but he had heard that Calvin and the other reformers had lost their influence in Geneva. He had heard that their enemies had um, had current control of the civil authority, which was the case. And so he went to Geneva in hopes that um, he could place himself at the head of the opposing political party, drive out the reformers in the Reformation, and substitute his own version of Christianity in the city. Um so he he went there. At first, he concealed himself in a tavern un, under a false name. Stayed there long enough to realize, find out that yet yeah, yeah, it was true that Calvin's enemies had had control of the civil authority. Um, Calvin was not popular at the time, and he thought, "Oh, this is this is my chance." And so he came out of hiding. Um, in the hopes of getting Calvin booted out of Geneva and taking his place. And so how did he get found out? Uh, who put him on trial? And how did it progress once he was there? Yeah, well, so as soon as he you know, decided to make himself known, um, he, he, he came out, out in the open he went someplace where Calvin was, and Calvin recognized him. And and need to understand, because there was not a separation of church and state, Calvin's duty, Calvin had certain duties to the syndics. The, the four syndics were the magistrates who, who governed um, the city. And he, his duty to them was, if, 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 if some, if heretics showed up in the city, to teach false doctrine, it was Calvin's duty to make it known to them, and so Calvin did. He went to, he made his presence known to the syndics, um, as as it was his, his job to do, and uh, the syndics immediately had him arrested, and um, he was put on trial um, before the Council of Geneva. It wasn't, it was the civil authorities that arrested him and put him on trial. It wasn't the consistory. It wasn't a church court. It was, it was the civil magistrates of Geneva 
that arrested him and put him on trial. And what role then did Calvin play in the trial? So as, as the pastor of the city um, in, in his position, it was, it was his job to be the prosecutor in the trial. So he would have been uh, uh, like a prosecuting attorney, I guess. Um, so he drew up the 38 articles of accusation against Servetus. So he came, brought 38 articles of um, different errors that Servetus had taught. Um, that he was tried or examined twice. Um, and uh, at the second um, of the examinations, Servetus persisted in many of his errors, especially um, the, the uh, he said uh, that God is in all things, or how do he put it? All things, even this footstool, are the substance of God. So he had this uh, interesting um, form of pantheism that he saw God uh, in even this footstool is this, is the substance of God, and and so um, that's how the trial began. But he did try to put his plan into place, but he brought counter charges against Calvin. He he uh, well, and then that was his whole reason for making himself known. He he what it wasn't unexpected to him to be arrested. He planned to be arrested so that he could bring counter charges against Calvin. And his hope was, since, since this trial is before the council, and the council was not friendly to Calvin at that time, he hoped that they would end up taking his side, and Calvin would end up would be the one put to death, and then he could take some, his influence in Geneva. That was his hope. But yeah, Calvin was the prosecutor of the trial, as it was... It wasn't because, hey, I wanted to prosecute him. It was, it was his job. Uh, so. Hmm. Oh, do you have any other thoughts? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Yeah, that's. No, go on. So uh, I think people, whenever they try to use the story of Servetus as, and Calvin and frame it, like you mentioned at the beginning, that Servetus. Uh, Calvin had Servetus killed. He was such the he was the bad reformer. He was the the one that was the mean and nasty one, and he just wanted to you know kill his enemies for the fun of it, uh, or at least that's the way it seems like it's framed. What what was the opinion of some of the other reformers during this time about uh, what they should what what should be done to Servetus? Yeah, well, yeah. There's some. In, well, first of all, the King of France wrote to Geneva and demanded that they hand him over to the Roman Catholic court so they could be put to death. The Roman Catholic church wanted him back. They wanted to put him to death. They, uh, and, and the, the King of France, they asked, it was, the, it was the King of France who in the name of the Roman Catholic church commanded Geneva, um, to hand him over to them, which they refused to do. But, you know, after the, he had, been examined, um, the syndics of Geneva um, sent the articles and 
um, Servetus' replies to them. They sent it to the churches in Zurich, Bern, Basel, Schaffhausen, and other places. Uh, to uh, they, they sent it to all the reformers in Europe, asking, "What's your opinion?" Okay, these are these are the accusations against him. These were his answers. What should we do? And it was completely unanimous. Everyone came back. He should be put to death. There was there was no. Uh, no one in Europe or none of the reformers and or Roman Catholics had any idea. And we need to realize how it's even, you know, on the one hand, it's simply everyone believed that's what should be done to heretics, but also re recognize from the reformers point of view, the Roman Catholic church is always accusing the reformed of being heretical. If, Geneva, as a reformed city, captures Servetus, puts him on trial, and then let him lets him go without putting him to death. The Roman Catholic Church is going to point at that point at that say, "See, you're heretics. You're siding with heretics. You're not putting them to death like you ought." And so um, it, it was just the universal opinion that he should be put to death. Um, interestingly, Servetus begged the uh, Genevan magistrates to execute them themselves instead of sending him to Rome to um, be put to death under the slow, on, on a slow fire <laughs> as, as Rome had, uh, um, would, would surely do. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a universal opinion that he should be put to death. All these uh, answers that you've been giving to these questions, I hope, better contextualize what happened between Calvin and Servetus and in this situation where Calvin is often boogeymaned uh, because of this providential circumstance. But uh, one of our last questions before we move on to the next thing you wanted to talk about, did Calvin show animosity for uh, Servetus? No, really not at all. Calvin, Calvin showed nothing but love and tenderness Tercivatus, two two things really demonstrate this. Number one, he went almost daily to the prison, prayed with Servetus, and begged him to repent. I mean, if if he had repented of his errors, he probably would have been let go. I'm not I'm not sure it didn't happen the same way every time in every place. But had he repented, I think he would have been left go, let go. And, and Calvin was begging him to repent of his errors. Um, even even Pharrell came to, and visited the city for the sole purpose. Um, one, one historian wrote, uh, both Pharrell, who came to Geneva for the purpose, and Calvin prayed with the unhappy man and expressed themselves tenderly towards him. Both of them pleaded with the council for the substitution of a milder mode of of death, but the syndics were inflexible. So that's the other thing. The syndics said he should be burned. Calvin and Pharrell begged the syndics to for uh, uh, a kinder form of death, uh, a beheading, rather than being burned alive. Um, but they absolutely refused. Um, you know, the historian Paul Harvey writes of the whole situation. 
Calvin here appears in his real character and a nearer consideration of the proceedings examined from the point of view furnished by the age in which they are lived will completely exonerate him from all blame. His conduct was not determined by personal feeling. It was the consequence of a struggle which this great man had carried on for years against tendencies to corruption of doctrine which threatened the church with ruin. Every age must be judged according to, to the, its prevailing laws. Calvin cannot be fairly accused of any greater offense than that with which we may charge we may be charged for punishing certain crimes with death. So it's anyone looking at it from a unbiased point of view needs to yeah yeah was it wrong to burn Servetus? Yeah, we think so because we don't think it's the job of the civil government to put heretics to death but you put yourself in the the age in which it happened and blaming calvin is there's just no grounds for it hmm. well uh this wasn't necessarily prepared and you don't have to answer it but do you have any other final thoughts or applications on this first story before we move on to the next one uh, no, uh, it's, it's, I, you know, just going, re repeating, it's, it, it's important to understand. Calvin, it wasn't that he hated Servetus and put him to death. He, he showed more kindness to him than anyone else. <laughs> probably, he showed, probably showed more kindness to Servetus than anyone else in Servetus's life. Um, he, he wanted him to repent and, and, um, flee from his errors. And, uh, so, hmm. yeah. Well, this has been really helpful in my estimation to talk about the, the context, as you said, of Calvin and Servetus, but you did mention at the beginning of this episode that you wanted to, uh, talk about another incident in Calvin's ministry. Yeah. I thought I thought it'd be good to have a more positive note as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I hadn't talked uh, about it. Then. Right. Yeah. So there's there's another famous incident um, that uh, obviously is I think is better understood if you understand its context, and that's Calvin's great battle with the libertines over the Lord's table, um, and. Uh, 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 it, it basically, it's, it starts out again because Calvin is not hit, the, the party who's favorable to Calvin is not in control. It, if you understand the history of the, um, the, pol the politics in Geneva, be, up until the point where Geneva becomes reformed, there are basically two political parties, the Huguenots who fought for the, to keep the, um, the city as a republic, and Mamelukes who wanted to turn over the civil jurisdiction of the city to the Duke of Savoy. Well, uh, at the time that Geneva becomes reformed, um, the King of France uh, had a war with the Duke of Savoy, and he lost all power. And so the, the Huguenots basically. Uh, 
have all control the city but now now you got a further division between of among the huguenots you've got those who are evangelicals who've embraced the reform who love calvin and the other ministers um and are christians and then you've got huguenots that were simply political huguenots they fought for liberty but they're libertines they they don't like calvin because of calvin doesn't like their immorality they like to drink and party and um calvin is against that and so you, you end up with the two political parties in calvin's day are between the libertines and the evangelical huguenots and um at this point in time his enemies have control of the civil authority and there are two men who it's it's really sad because they're these are sons of two of the greatest patriots who fought for the liberty of geneva um uh perrin and bertelier and uh but they're they're determined but okay the the consistory the pastors of geneva have want them debarred from the lord's table the the pastors of geneva say these men demonstrate by their lives they do not the they their lives are not in line with the gospel they should not be given the lord's table they demand that they be allowed to take the lord's table this is uh, um that they go they go to the council and demand that their sentence be annulled so the consistory debars them they go to the council and they tell the then the they, they demand that they be allowed and the council takes their side the council basically commands the pastors to give communion to those that they've debarred um it was the and it's it's the following lord's day is coming so calvin meets with all the other pastors and with one consent the pastors promise to stand firm and oppose the desecration of the lord's table and they went to the council begged the council to change their mind but the council would not be moved so here here you have this stand that calvin is taking um and he's he's determined to fence the lord's table his fellow elders and pastors are um determined with him and the council is uh the civil magistrate is commanding them otherwise and up to this point had all had calvin always fenced the table at geneva okay he'd always wanted to but and here, here's here's why we understand, need to understand the context of this you get a young pastor or, or young guy straight out of seminary goes into a church and wants to stories like this from calvin standing so firm and thinks i've got to make all these changes right now you know and, and churches don't reform quickly calvin knew that as well when calvin first came to geneva over a decade before this he and pharrell wanted to fence the lord's table um but the magistrates did not think it was wise the church had basically just 
The city had just declared for the Reformation, just recently banished the Roman Catholic Mass. Um, they thought it'd be a big mistake to try to fence the table. And uh, Calvin and Pharrell um, bowed to the will of the magistrates and, and, and didn't fence the table. But um, because they, they, they were patient reformers. Um, so, yeah, he had not all, he had always wanted to. He always recognized that it ought to be fenced. But again, we don't have the separation of church and state. The, he was always subject to the uh, will of the magist civil magistrates. And uh, early on, they, they agreed to, they bowed to the desires of the civil magistrates, even in fen regarding fencing the table. So why this moment? Why was this the time that uh, Calvin decided to take a stand? Well, uh, that, first of all, this is over a decade later. I think it's like 14, 15 years later, at least. Uh, you know, the, the Reformation has had time to be established. The, the church is, has, has been well established in Geneva. Um, and and the, Calvin recognizes that this is, this is the issue that's either going to, uh, the, the church in Geneva is going either going to stand or fall. And, and this is the issue that's going to bring it about. And he really thought if 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 they failed to fence the table, that it, it would be the downfall of the church. Um, and you know, that, uh, he was probably right. I think. And how did it go whenever he made this stand? Okay, yeah, this is honestly. I'm going to do some reading here because we we have some of his words, and uh, um, and the historians are are they just put it really well the eventful morning dawned the bell invited the people to the church of saint peter the libertines were present with their swords determined to communicate or take the lord's supper calvin pre preached on the intention of the sacred ordinance and spoke of the state of mind necessary for obedience to the lord's command at the close he said as for me so long as God shall leave me here, since he has given me fortitude and I have received it from him, I will employ it, whatever betide, and I will guide myself by my master's rule, which to me is clear and well known. As we are now about to receive the holy supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, if anyone who has been debarred by the consistory shall approach this table, Though it should talk, cost my life, I will show myself such as I ought to be. He then left the pulpit and stood at the table, removing the white cloth and covering the bread. I'm sorry, removing the white cloth and covering the bread and wine with his hands, he said with a voice that rang through the building, These hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off, my life you may take. My blood is yours. You may shed it, but you shall never force me to give holy things to the profane and dishonor the table of my God. Hmm. Man. Amen. <laughs> oh, dang. 
That's and, something, ain't it? <laughs> I just love it. These hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off, but you will never force me to give holy things to the profane. Um, so, but this is amazing. As if by the power of God, a calm succeeded. The congregation parts, making an opening, and the libertines turn around and leave. <laughs> uh, what the historian puts it, the question in the mind of Calvin is not whether he or the libertines should succeed, but whether the Reformation should be wrecked at the very table of the Lord. He stood firm and the victory remained with him. On the evening of the same day, Calvin preached again in the same pulpit. So, I mean, he, he won the day that morning, obviously, but Calvin's worried. What's good? He assumes tomorrow the magistrates are going to exile him from Geneva again, right? So that evening, he, he enters the pulpit, what he believes is going to be for the last time. And he chose for his text Acts, uh, um, what? Yeah, Acts twenty-one. Uh, the uh, Paul's words to the elders of the church, Paul's parting words to the uh, elders of the church in Ephesus. Um, and uh, so he preached, and that's it. You know, Calvin's often pointed at as a great example of expository preaching, preaching expositional sermons through books of the Bible. And, and he is a great example of that, but he also was not afraid to have a topical sermon when it's right time for a topical sermon. That morning he preached on, uh, on the Lord's table that evening. He preached on a farewell address because he thought it was going to be his farewell address to, to the church there. Um, what's to say? Uh, he says, he ended it by um, spreading forth his hands. He commended the congregation to God and to his word and his grace amid sobs and tears of all present. So he, he, he entered the pulpit that evening, preached what he thought was going to be his final address, <laughs> but then the council never did a thing. The, the, it, it, was the, the, it all got dropped. The, they didn't, uh, I guess, well, how how'd somebody put it? Uh, the councils of men are subject to a higher power than their own. The, that was a case in which God uh, supported his servants by changing the hearts of the civil magistrates. Hmm. This is certainly a moving story, at least. It should be obvious if you were watching the video of this episode that uh, our brother Rex was moved by the story of the boldness that the Lord gave to Calvin to guard the table and to not give holy things to the profane. Uh, why are you moved by this, Rex? And uh, what concluding applications do you have to make about Calvin or uh, the situation with the Libertines as we bring this conversation to a close uh, what? I, I, I tear up when, when I see well you know it's it's not it's, okay it's not a great man doing great thing this is this is a 
It's more moving if you know about Calvin that he's actually this incredibly timid man hmm. who, who, who is deathly afraid of the Huguenots. He, he, he talks about them crucifying him a thousand times a day. They, 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 they are these wild, unruly men who, who are dangerous, and, and, and yet he takes his stand. It is so clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. It ought to move us when we see God using choice servants the way he does. And uh, I mean, it just same thing happens when you hear of uh, Luther saying, "Here I stand." You know, you've you've got the Holy Spirit working the life of a man to uh, hold fast to His Word, hmm. and we need to praise God every time we see that. Amen. Well, I think that that's a great place for us to end this conversation and. May the Lord's and may the Lord, excuse me, indeed move us to worshiping Him as we have used this story in God's history of the church um, as a lens to look to Him and to behold His power and to worship our Triune God. May that end be accomplished. To our listeners, we thank you for uh, tuning in to this talk where we've compared uh, Calvin and Servetus and the situation and uh, the historical context and how we've also left off with this encouraging story about Calvin and his battle with the Libertines. Until next time, we wish you grace and peace.